Hello and welcome to BJGP Interviews. My name is Jean Lawson and I'm the editor of the BJGP. In this episode, we talk to Dr. Yin Zhu, who is a GP and clinical research fellow at the Primary Care Unit, Department of Public Health and Primary Care at the University of Cambridge. And the paper is Pre-Diagnostic Clinical Features and Blood Tests in People with Colorectal Cancer, a Retrospective Linked Data Study. Now, we know that understanding pre-diagnostic patterns of relevant clinical features and abnormal blood tests results in patients with colon and rectal cancer could make a big difference to work out when there might possibly be windows of opportunity. I asked Yin to tell us a little bit more about the evidence and the background to this, about what we already know around these pre-diagnostic patterns. Essentially, a lot of these um evidence came from Denmark uh, before we started uh, this particular study. Um, There's uh, evidence to say that um, consultation rates are rising in people with cancer uh, before they were diagnosed. Um, And also there are also uh, uh, studies which showed that um, essentially consultation rates for symptoms of uh, cancer uh, increased uh, before they were diagnosed. And this this increase in, in the rate of consultations goes back to 18 months, 24 months sometimes for certain types of cancer. And it's not just colorectal cancer. It happens in, in other cancers as well, but colorectal cancer is one of the most, m- more sort of studied um, cancers. And so there, there is that, uh, the question then comes up to say, why are people presenting more? Are there opportunities for GPs um, in primary care to do more or to pick up things a bit earlier um, or, or do, do, to do further testings or referrals earlier in, in these patients who are presenting quite a lot. And sometimes these um, rates of consultations increase quite a long time before they were diagnosed. And, and this is, you know, up to a year, like I said, uh, or more sometimes. And, and between the first time they present and the time of diagnosis, um, having a year is, is quite a long time for somebody to be able to do something. So if you are able to identify these windows of opportunities for diagnosing and testing um, uh, for certain cancers a bit earlier, then that may help us to improve our diagnosis in terms of timeliness, as well as improve outcomes in cancer patients. So this is the basis for us doing this particular study is to understand whether we can um, look for these early uh, signals of potential cancer in these colorectal patients, and whether there might be things we can do a bit better, um, or things that we can do uh, in terms of testing or referrals earlier in, in these patients. So a little bit of evidence in Denmark, which points towards this, who obviously wanted to replicate that in get a feel for what's happening in England. And you looked at some other things as well. Um, and you use CPID and some cancer registry data for this. Tell us, a, give us a little bit of a feel for what, what, what your methods were and what else you looked at. So we we use the linked um, CPRD and cancer registry data. So that CPRD, it's mostly um, GP or primary care data. So it includes the symptoms that patients presented with, um, the tests that were done, especially in primary care, so blood tests, uh, which we looked at in this study, um, and then the diagnosis uh, of cancer, uh, but also the diagnosis is also confirmed with the cancer registry data that we have um, linked to this data set. So what we did uh, was to look up patterns of these consultations uh, with relevant colorectal symptoms. And these include things like uh, changing bowel habit, rectal bleeding, abdominal pain, and as well as abnormal blood test results. So anemia, 
high platelet inflammatory markers, which we now know can be associated with an increased risk of cancer in general. Um, uh, all these uh, different clinical features, as we call them, we, we looked for patterns of, of these uh, in the two years prior to diagnosis um, in a cohort of colorectal cancer patients. Um, and we were trying to identify when these rates of um, clinical features increase above baseline. So we were trying to see if there is a, a, an inflection point uh, where things are starting to increase, the rates of these are increasing, and whether these might be the times where they might be an early signal of colon erectile cancer that we can act on. So, yeah, good, sensible clinical features, recognisable all GPs, listening clinicians, that these are these are the kind of things that we would be on the lookout for. So this this study was looking at those. Give us a feel for, tell us how many patients you had were in the study and start telling us a little bit about the results. Yeah, so we had over 7,000 patients in total, uh, about 5,000 colorectal um, uh, patients and um, over 2,500 um, uh, rectal patients. And uh, these patients were, so we separated the two uh, cancer sites So because they can present a little bit differently with rectal patients mostly having rectal bleeding um, as the sort of main alarm symptom. And colon patients, colon cancer patients can have a bit more sort of a varied presentation in terms of their symptom profile. So what we found was really we were looking at this window at when all these clinical features are increasing from baseline. And in colon cancer patients, um, we found that with the symptoms, um, the earliest symptom to increase was um, rectal bleeding. So that increased from about 10 months um, before they were diagnosed in the end. And, uh, and, and that's then followed by changing bowel habits and abdominal pain, which um, increased from about eight months prior to diagnosis. In rectal cancer patients, um, rectal bleeding, again, was the first one to increase from baseline. So that's about eight months as well. So both these cancers had, it, there were symptoms that we would consider to be alarm symptoms. So such as rectal bleeding is an alarm symptom. Um, and, and they increased very early on um, before they were diagnosed. So about eight to 10 months. And, and just giving an idea of sort of the time frame that we're looking at, Really, our hypothesis is that if someone presented with an abnormal clinical feature, um, especially of an alarm nature, we would expect them generally to be diagnosed within a three-month period because you would expect a two-week wait referral to follow um, and then a fairly soon um, sort of secondary care investigations to happen. Um, and so a three-month was our cutoff um, to, to say whether something was timely or, or not. And a lot of these symptoms were beyond the three-month mark. Um, so they were very early on, uh, earlier than the three months. So, so it, it shows that there are early signals um, in terms of symptoms um, of, of these two cancers as early as eight to 10 months before um, the, the actual diagnosis was made. With respect to the blood tests, uh, we also found evidence for uh, early rise in the baseline rate of them be becoming abnormal. So these are uh, platelets and inflammatory markers um, for colon cancer. They rate they they become an anemia. So all the three that we looked at, they all um, increased uh, from baseline from about nine months, eight to nine months before diagnosis. Um, and for rectal cancer, again, anemia and high platelets was found to be um, uh, increasing uh, about nine months before. So all these show that abnormal blood tests also increase from baseline from about eight to nine months. So it seems to be that 
that overall there is a all the relevant clinical features that we looked for were increasing uh, fairly early on before diagnosis at least uh, about eight, between 8 to 10 months before diagnosis um, so whether there is something we could do in the eight to nine months um, in a more timely fashion, or whether there is um, additional monitoring or, or, or safety netting that we should be doing in the eight to nine months, if they don't fit any referral or testing criteria, um, these are this is, these are questions or, or things that we should be thinking about as clinicians. The important thing here to emphasise, as you're just touching on there, is that the, the study doesn't infer that there's been a problem with how GPs have been handling these and whether the, we can't tell whether they've been following the guidance from this study and there's no suggestion of that. It's perhaps rather, it's good news rather than bad news in some ways because it suggests that there's a clear signal, as you described there, a clear signal in these data that we can be optimistic that there are ways that we can find colorectal and rectal cancer, colorectal cancer just, I should say, colorectal cancer earlier than we are currently doing. So absolutely. So I, I is completely. Um, you're completely right, Ian. That this is not um, saying that GPs are not doing well. Um, this is uh, a study. It's an observational study, and we're looking at population level um, signals. So this is not individual level um, information. We're not looking at associations between the abnormal blood test and their cancer um, risk. Um, so it's not um, about uh, saying that a particular patient who has rectal bleeding will develop. Um, cancer 10 months later uh, is not about that. It definitely is looking at a very uh, general trend um, in terms of what the uh, what the uh, abnormalities, uh, how early they might be happening in, in these two cancers. And um, the, the benefits of this type of study is that we can view the findings in, in different ways. And the first is maybe uh, looking at how long it might take for these two cancers to develop following an abnormal blood test or relevant symptoms. So is to think about prospectively um, how long maybe we should be having an alert or an alarm bell going in, in, this, um, sim, uh, in this patient, especially with all the other uh, symptoms and, and history that you might find that might be relevant. So it's about having, if someone did come with a relevant clinical feature, as we call it, um, then whether certain in some people, vigilance and, and monitoring might be a, a good thing to do for a period of time and, and maybe the potential or the time frame for doing this, maybe months uh, or more than what we are currently doing. That might be one thing in terms of monitoring and safety netting. And then the second thing is to, is to identify whether um, certain clinical features might present more diagnostic challenges. So, the ones that are present that are sort of increasing from baseline very early, maybe the ones that are more difficult and challenging to diagnose. So, for example, rectal bleeding in colon cancer uh, is the first one to increase. So, this may be that rectal bleeding is um, is a in colon cancer is not uh, is a is a has a very sort of low PPV in a way um, because it can be due to many other things like hemorrhoids, like benign conditions that can cause the same thing. So they are obviously causing some sort of diagnostic challenge um, by within the clinical setting. So in these patients, uh, a more thorough history might be needed. Um, obviously, we do have the fecal immunochemical testing fit test now, which is really helpful for these patients who may have some symptoms um, that we but but are not high with not enough high enough risk to for us to say well they need a two-week wait straight away so 
so that is what we're trying to see to to see which symptoms are the early ones that may need some additional um, thinking about when we are presented uh, with those situations. And we need to have a more sort of thorough history and think about using the the very good triaging test in primary care, which is the FIT that we have at the moment uh, a bit sooner. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned in the the paper about you know, that there's this what the study's got is this increased granularity. So perhaps that's what we need to be looking at now in many ways about how we go about pathways and processes and policies for um, and guidance for how GPs manage these things is actually digging into the individual symptoms to some extent and looking at what's going to work and what isn't. Give us a, a quick word on any effect on deprivation you saw in the study and ethnicity. Yeah, so um, so unfortunately, the, the 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 actual data set itself is is quite skewed in terms of ethnicity, um, and definitely it is a, a a very white population that we have, and that's the general um, uh, thing we have with CPRD data in general. So the majority, over ninety five percent, I think it's ninety seven to ninety eight percent of our cohort uh, were white patients. So there's very little uh, variation or significant uh, variation seen with ethnicity. Uh, and, and similarly with um, deprivation, uh, we, we didn't see any um, uh, statistically significant uh, variation in that uh, with, with, uh, with, with, uh, in terms of how early um, these signals uh, were, were becoming um, were occurring, essentially. Yeah, so I mean, uh, well, hopefully that's good news in that regard. Um, that the deprivation side, and as you say, the ethnicity problem is not is one is not one limited to this study in particular. It's more of a CPRD issue. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, uh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, Ian, that's a really um, really wonderful summary, a really excellent paper, and I encourage I encourage everybody to get over there and have a read of it and dig into the details. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks very much. Thank you very much for listening to this BJGP podcast. The original research papers and articles can be found at bjgp.org. The show notes and podcast audio can be found at bjgplife.com. Do share if you've enjoyed it. Subscribe via all the usual places, including Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or your podcaster of choice. Thanks again. Thanks again.